0: £204 if I can get cheap day. For the train? Yeah, £224 if I get one after 235
1: £204? 204,
0: yeah. £204. But anyway, we've started recording now. So, well,
1: I'm sorry, but it's very important to for listeners who are not in the United Kingdom to appreciate how wildly expensive our trains are.
0: It certainly is. But... Awful. I know. But that's not, we're not doing a train sham, but we should do a train sham <laughs> podcast. We can talk about that. Um, but we're now in a professional Soho recording studio. And so all of us are going to be talking from now on in a new manner, which means that we can get more work from VoiceOver.
1: Integrating product and content in a dynamic way.
0: Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> we're joined by Claudia Hammond.
1: Hello. <laughs>
0: oh, Claudia's doing her Radio 4 voice. Maybe we have to do the Radio 4 voice. Claudia Hammond, oh, okay. uh, presenter of uh, All In The Mind and uh, an author, uh, but known for both. And uh, she's and sitting in the Josie Long presenting chair, oh, no. which has ruined the Feng Shui of the room. So welcome to book, book Shambles, Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. Uh, today we're talking to Claudia Hammond and we're going to be talking about uh, her books on psychology, the nature of the mind and what inspired her in the first place. And uh, Josie, can I just check what have you been reading recently?
1: Well, I my reading in the last couple of months has been so embarrassingly scant because I started reading a book that a friend recommended called Aunt Julia and the Screenwriters by Mario riosa Yeah, uh, that I don't know whether that's how you would say it, but I really went for it, didn't I? And um, we'll get in,
0: in in contact with the Radio Four pronunciation department. Oh, I'm sorry, that's pronunciation department.
1: <laughs> and I can't finish it, and I don't know why. Well, you it's mean like, you
0: literally just you you've got to that bit where you go, ah, oh, this is impenetrable. Not because it's difficult, but I just you don't like it.
1: It's not that I don't like it. I like it so fine enough. But I guess I don't love it and I want to love it because it was recommended by a friend but I don't so I want to hang in there. But um, I remember when I was at university and I was reading Mill on the Floss and I just found it so difficult to read that I kept writing because it was like a cheaper copy I kept writing on the spine help me I'm trapped in this book I'm trapped <laughs> in this book. but I, I tell you what I have read since our last um, meeting that I really really loved and that was um, Crispin Best has got a I guess it's a pamphlet it's the Penguin New no Faber New Poets you know the New Poets mm. it's Faber isn't it is it
0: yeah they do New Poets yeah Faber New Poets
1: it's the Faber New Poets and he's got one it's bright pink and it is Wonderful. I absolutely loved it. It's um. Oh my God, it's just so great! It's a bit like Frank O'Hara, right? It feels to me like Frank O'Hara a little bit, but it's also strange and delicate and unusual, and it's a bit like um, George Saunders or something. But it's also very. Oh, George um,
0: Saunders is. I imagine a lot of people listen to this. Have you ever read George Saunders? No,
1: Radio? I
0: haven't. <gasps> great. I would say a good starting point is uh, Pastoralia. Pastoralia, yeah. Well, Pastoralia. Oh, BBC Radio Four. Pastoralia. Uh, that's fantastic, and he also does a lovely. Civil War in Bad Decline, um, December Tenth. Brain Dead uh, Megaphone is also very good. Uh the journalism. A collection of journalism. Can't be
1: bothered with that. Just want... He writes brilliant short stories and they're just amazing. Oh, I
0: do quite like short
1: stories. What, what's so good about them is he. it feels so emotionally real and big, but at the same time he does things like suddenly you will realise someone in the story was a ghost all along or the story is set in a futuristic theme park where humans are playing cavemen. Shh, <laughs>
0: Spoiler. That's not a spoiler. Well, it spoils it a bit. It Spoils like three sentences. Yeah. <laughs> anyone, anyone who waits for the twist in the end of the first paragraph, not going to bloody bother now, are they? I
1: get it. Well, bad luck, though. But um, *Christmas Best*, I loved it, and it feels really modern in this way that's really thrilling and exciting. Like um, there's this line um. Six minutes wild texting in the toilet cubicle. It's like so romantic, but it's so like... Anyway, so that's what I recommend. It was, I loved it. And then I tweeted him. I was like, oh, I really love yourself. And then I felt a bit embarrassed.
0: Oh, well, I, as you mentioned, that, I saw some of the Faber New Poets at the Larn Festival, uh, which is a while ago now, but uh, also I read because I, I interviewed Erwin uh, James. I can't remember if you'd gone by then.
1: And... I met him because I kept thinking that you were mispronouncing Erwin Jones. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's happening to Robin? He's going, Oh, yes, I'm interviewing Ian <laughs> James. No, 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 it's, it is Erwin James. And he, uh, he's kind of been the prison correspondent for The Guardian, and uh, he spent nearly 30 years uh, in prison um, because uh, the two people that he killed and his book redeemable is just a remarkable story of how you can end up in a position where you can take someone's life and then what happened to him after he went to prison and at no point i think one of the great things about the book is um that he doesn't i think his publishers maybe or he certainly said in the past he's spoken to other people who've had similar lives to him and the publishers go yeah make sure you write about the crime and he doesn't there's just one page which is basically a copy of The Daily Telegraph reporting his sentencing and then it goes in into the prison and it is uh, it's a, it's quite a difficult read' it's, it's it's very it's just a really horrible story of what we can do to children and uh, so redeemable does not have any moments of frantic texting in the <laughs> toilet um, that's the age i've got to you see just misery but it's then but it's that's a very, it's can a fascinating happen. story about the sorry the, the way that his uh by the fact there was one particularly wonderful woman in the prison who managed to reveal to him that he could be a human being a proper human being and it's fantastic uh, I, re- I really recommend it even though it can be very difficult at times wow so Claudia hammond before we get on to a new book so i want to know first of all all in the mind where you investigate many of the uh, psychological and neuroscientific ideas of the human brain what was your what's your book starting point in that world was there something that you read when you were younger which you thought wow this is really this this is fascinating
2: I did do psychology at university. So then I started reading all sorts of um, books about psychology. And I remember there was Irvin Yalom's Love and Other, uh, what's it called? The Executioner's Tale. Irvin Yalom's The Executioner's Tale and Other Stories, which are stories of, of psychotherapy, basically. And I just thought that was completely fascinating. And that was completely fascinating to see how people's minds work and how their minds can be... Changed in the way they work through other things. And so I'd already decided I was going to do psychology, but then reading things like that made me realise this is absolutely the right thing. And in fact, I dropped that book in the sea, so that's now pretty fat and wet. That book. Were you but- reading it in the sea? No, well, I was, I was, I was kind of near the sea. I was on the beach reading it, and the sea tides came in, and so it kind of got dropped in the sea.
0: That's a good recommendation for a book to not notice the power of the moon <laughs> and water, and to nearly drown. It's also got a little bit of kind of Prospero about that as well. What other books have you dropped in the sea? Because I think they'll probably be the ones that we should recommend to our listeners. I
2: don't think I've dropped any others in the sea. Occasionally, so I drop books in the a bath. Book that good again? No, that might be it. That might be it. Occasionally, I drop them in the bath, but not very often. Well would
0: say. So is Erwin, now, now I've not read, I've got some of his books, I've not read any of his stuff yet, so uh, Freudian, Jungian, Lacanian, what is he?
2: I don't know what he would describe himself as, I mean he, he is one who does do a lot of delving into childhood so he's very different from the people say doing cognitive behavioural therapy now looking at you know people's uh, behaviour in the everyday but he does just... What is quite nice is he manages to tell quite neat stories of how people ended up where they were, which may be neater than, than real life because, you know, we all try and look for, for reasons for things and want stories to be straightforward and want there to be straightforward narratives of how people started in one place and this happened and that happened and, and got to another. And we want to look for those reasons. You may have found that reading the Urban James but You, you want an ex- explanations for what's happened. And it's not always straightforward in real life, I think.
0: What do you think are the, the most common in terms of... Um, misunderstandings in in psychotherapy from you know you've been what 20 years now you've probably been studying this and 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 reading works and interviewing people what do you think are the most common things that people just they don't realize about either people who decide to go into therapy or people who are you know therapists themselves
2: i think well i think when people think about therapy generally then they often think that all the other person is going to do is is listen and agree with them um and some forms of counseling maybe like that but lots aren't and so sometimes you'll have people say what you know what a therapist needs to do is to tell people you should do this and you should do that and in fact something like cognitive behavioral therapy is about challenging people's thoughts and is is not not always in a comfortable way it is about people kind of saying in a nice way your thoughts are wrong and you should work to change your thoughts and that that is quite a um a rigorous thing to do in a way, and I think people don't always realise that it's it's not necessarily going to be easy taking part in it because of that.
0: Is oh, there? that means I wasted my money because I bought one of those psychotherapy tapes you can get for ten quid off the internet, <laughs> and it just goes every five minutes goes, mm, mm, <laughs> mm, mm, yes, mm. And now, if you want to take that and loop it, you've saved ten quid.
1: <laughs> I, um, is there like is there friction between the CBT people
2: and the back to childhood people? Oh, definitely. <sighs> Do they really <laughs> mistrust each other? I think that uh, some people who don't do CBT will feel that CBT gets all the attention now and is, is uh, you know, seen as the talking therapy that works and that the others don't get mentioned as much anymore. When the evidence, if you look at all the different sorts of therapy, it matters much more what the therapist is like and how the person gets on with them. Right. What they call the, the therapeutic alliance, you know, how they get on together is what really matters rather than the actual type that people are having when you look at... Um, whether it works or not so what matters is it being someone really nice you know it being someone really nice that you get on with that you feel you can talk to is what really really matters
1: that's that's just something very cute about people doesn't it
2: like you you just need a nice relationship with someone and then you're all right i think it does i mean this shows that it's all about human connections and finding someone you can connect with who can get you to talk about things or to think about things in a new way and mm-hmm. just uh, and to be there and listen and you know not ever sound bored like your friends might if you go on and on and that people can feel they can repeat the same thing again and again and so there are different ways that will appeal to different people you know some people don't want to talk about their childhood and don't want to delve into that and just want something practical now and they want some practical tips for how they can say you know cope with their anxiety or worrying too much or something like that that they're doing right now they just want to to know how to do it rather than look at what might have caused it and that's fine so if you know people will select into the thing that they like the idea of really
0: oh it makes me think of the therapist in happiness have you ever seen the film happiness yes yes. that really you know terrible uh have you have you seen happiness
1: yeah of course I have. yeah
0: Uh, it still has my favorite line of all time there's no line greater than when the sister laughs at the other sister and goes i'm not laughing at you i'm laughing with you but i'm not laughing that's great that sums up everything so that is so cbt this because this is something i want to know because i was talking to some uh therapists when i was doing a show once and one of them said as long as you're still making a joke about something it means you haven't accepted the thing and the other one said Nah, you can still be joking it doesn't mean that you've you, you know you're, you're not also taking it seriously so, what do you reckon to? Uh, I mean, I know it depends on the joke, but that idea that or oh, because I think with some some therapist I spoke to, it seems to be we can find a way to remove all your humor, we can analyze yourself <laughs> we can remove all the kinks of your person, and if you I think if you remove all the kinks of personality, don't you end up with no personality? It's the kinks that make us, isn't
2: it? yeah i mean I think I think to sort of to say that you know people shouldn't joke about things and to make it serious is is you know. Daft. And often that is the way that people cope with things, but also the way that they introduce those things to somebody else and the way they find they can talk to other people, to you know, friends or family or whatever about the thing that really matters might be by making a joke of it first. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, funnily enough, a, a book has just arrived on my desk at work that I've not read yet, which is saying, suggesting that it's all about humour in psychotherapy and suggesting that it's been ignored in psychotherapy and that it's not something that's encouraged and that uh, perhaps therapists should be deliberately using humour more. Now, they may not be any good at making jokes. So we may not necessarily want them to do it that way, but I think it's an interesting idea that it's been it's been kind of shoved out and ignored. Yeah,
0: the, so we're now going to get Patch Adams therapists. <laughs> oh my
1: goodness! When I was when I first got to university and my time at school, like my teenagers were quite difficult. Like my background was quite difficult, and then when I got to university, I would make these really like showy jokes about terrible things that had happened to me so I'd be like oh yeah and then my stepdad did this to my mum, <laughs> and everyone would not laugh and would look at me really shocked and at the time I was thinking these guys are so lame like I'm just making a cool joke about real things. And then it was only like years later when I like went to therapy that I was like, oh, I clearly wasn't in any way dealing with that. And that's why I was joking about it. So I can see why. like, And I've definitely got friends who, when we talk about therapy, they talk about the fact that as soon as they go in, they try and whenever something sad's brought up, their first mechanism is like, make a joke. We're going to make jokes about this. And then their therapist is always like, please, can you stop laughing at your pain? <laughs> and stuff like that. But I also think that, You can laugh with your pain. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But also, and also, I think humour isn't just a coping mechanism. It's not just that one thing, is it? Humour is like music. It's like there for all of life in all different kinds of ways. So, like, then once you are over it, perfectly entitled to make jokes about it again, just in a slightly less dangerous way i guess
0: it's always i find it quite interesting where you when certain like after my mum died after about a month i was doing some gigs and there were some things that i wanted to talk about and then i also suddenly came up with a joke where i thought oh, that's a good opening joke in that which is you know my mum's died recently uh, which is you know predominantly negative but on the positive side i can have my hair cut any way i want now and it's <laughs> like that thing and then the different reaction and then there was an award ceremony i can't remember if we've talked about this but i went went to an award ceremony on the day of my mum's funeral my my dad said, I want you to go to the award ceremony. And uh, not it didn't clash, by the way. I, I did the eulogy at the funeral and all of that stuff. And I, and I realised that I thought he probably wanted me to go as well because he knew that if we did win anything, then my mum would have liked that. And my dad would like, yeah, I'm lucky enough to have kind of supportive. And that, seeing the reaction, when, when we didn't win the first North Cross when, uh, which I wouldn't normally care about, but I was cross, because I'd come there from my mum's bloody funeral, yeah. and then the second one, going up there and thinking, what are you going to say, we actually actually got, got that one, so it's like a very humble brag why do you bring up his mum's death? So he can mention they won a rose door, but the reaction to the audience, when I said this is the second time that I've spoken publicly today, uh, the first time was when I did the eulogy at my mum's funeral, and I was just fascinated, and the, the, that bit where your mind is in two places, there is an emotional mind which is full, and it's talking and there's also this kind of like when Feynman, Richard Feynman talks about the death of his first wife and he talks about both being emotionally, totally emotionally uh, engulfed in the fact he was watching her die but despite being emotionally engulfed there's also another it's seeming the whole brain which is going right what's going on now oh I see the lungs are getting weaker there's less uh, oxygen going to the brain and then this is and he, and he's thinking about all the mechanics of it as well I found that yeah fascinating anyway so we better talk about your books. You have a copy of uh, Primo Levi there. I do. And you, because you mentioned when we talked about this in in the the office, you also, uh, I think, a big admirer of Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl.
2: I have Viktor Frankl as well in here somewhere,
0: amongst some other misery books. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I do Viktor Frankl's Man Search for Meaning, which you... was superb. Do you like to read things that are downbeat? Yeah, I mean they are. They they do all seem quite uh, miserable. Some of these. Um, so um, you know, the Drowned and the Saved, and Victor Frankel's books are obviously both about experiences uh, during the Holocaust. But what I like about both of them is that they the way they approach it. So Victor Frankl talks really powerfully about how in his experience, what he worked out was that they could control him completely, they might, well, kill him, they could starve him, they could do anything they wanted to him, but they couldn't take his mind, mm-hmm. and that he would keep his mind for himself. And I just think that's so, that's so powerful that if he can do that in that circumstance, he then thought, well, when he got back, he he um, invent devised a form of therapy based on this, thinking that how he could teach other people in less extreme circumstances to take control of their mind as well, and to, to not, not let you know other people or things happening rule it in that way and he used to um he talks in the book about fantasizing about things like remembering what it was like to he would, he would imagine in the evenings that he was going home to his flat and going opening the door and turning on the light in the hallway and how that would be the most luxurious best thing he could possibly imagine doing and he would imagine it in real detail and I can remember reading that book I read it really fast sort of one I remember sitting in a cafe and just staying reading it the whole afternoon because it was so extraordinary and then going home and turning on the light in the hallway and just sort of thinking, yeah, it is amazing to be able to do that in your own home in freedom, you know, that this is. And I often think that when I switch on the light in the hallway, I think of that moment in that book and how amazing it is to be able to do what you want at a given moment.
0: Yeah, a, I was recommended that book after a gig in Liverpool by some Tim Minchin fans. And they said, you must read this book. And you and it's a very, it's one of those books that whenever I see it in secondhand bookshops or charity shops, I think, I'll buy a copy of that. And you just pass it on. But that is, because that's a remark, does, does it, is it in that where he talks about the fact that the moment that you, the, the loss of hope, he said, literally, you could watch the moment someone gave up and said, I'm going to die here. They were within either hours or days, everything physically about them. Would just kind of they they would fall apart and that would be it. And as long as you could kind of, as you're saying, just keep inside your head, there's a separate story going on.
2: Yeah, he was absolutely determined to hold on to that. And and Primo Levi touches on it as well. And and the Drowned and the Saved isn't isn't you know the most famous of his books and it's a lot of it is about i mean it's searingly honest a lot of it is about guilt and shame and the guilt and shame that he felt you know he insists that the you know the the best died and the the worst survived and and feels this huge survivor guilt of, of anyone who 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 was survived the holocaust even despite the appalling things they went through and he writes a whole chapter on shame and guilt and being forced into a situation where he would sometimes behave very badly, so there's a bit where there's a, there's a dripping. Uh, they find a pipe with a little bit of water in it, and they work out there's probably he works out there's probably about a liter of water in this, and he's desperate for something to drink. So he could have it himself drink it himself. He could share it with his one friend, or he could tell everyone about it, and then they could um, share it between them. And he shares it with with a couple of them, but not, not with the others. And then shortly afterwards, there's someone dying who hasn't had enough um, water um, and who's dying of thirst. And he realises that where the man is lying, he'd have seen them at this pipe and that oh this man would know. And he said the man just gives him a look in his eyes and, and a look as if to say, well, why not me? Why didn't you share it with me as well? And obviously, you know, he's forced into this terrible circumstance. And. and finds it so difficult to live with this guilt and he talks about how there were much there were far more suicides after people were liberated than there were in the camps themselves even though there you know there were you could find some means if you if you wanted to to kill yourself but that people did it afterwards instead and how people he thinks couldn't couldn't live with the guilt of having survived and he also talks really interestingly about the end of the um of, of the of well, he talks about when they were liberated and how he'd sort of imagined that day and thought people would, you know, cheer and be excited. Um, and he said instead people were so ground down by then and had been to, been made to feel so inhuman themselves and to sometimes act inhumanly themselves that he said people just wandered off and lay in the woods and just sort of lay down, thinking they could have some peace now but not celebrating in, in any way that you might expect because of uh, the length of time when... Hope had been completely taken away from them.
0: They are incredible books. And then also some of his other work, like The Periodic Table, the collection of, of stories about different elements. But that is that was what, when my son was born. I just kept coming back to me, that thought of... Because everything, once it becomes historical and once it becomes... There's that story that a lot of footage from World War Two was actually made in, into black and white it actually cut I think they've now found the color footage again that this may not be true you can check check on this but I've heard various people tell my story that it was put out in monochrome to create this kind of this is not you and this is not reality this wow. was a past this is historical and to make it therefore seem somehow less real because it's so shocking. And I, you know, when you when I'd be holding my son, I think, oh my god, there were there were people holding their babies. And as you said, that ability, that freedom to turn on your light, that uh, that ability to be annoyed because it's taking you seven seconds to download something, yeah. and to be able to turn on a hot tap and go, uh, you know, after ah, oh, it's still not hot. <laughs> this is nearly a seventh of a minute I've been waiting for that. I think all those minor things which then become incredible elements. Yeah, it's a a brilliant... So what else have we uh what else have we got? we've got some more while we're while we're on uh misery um... do you by the way, because I just want th- because you're um, I was thinking that when we had the little clash of I what really we'd read think... and the fact that I mentioned george saunders uh nonfiction and uh you mentioned his fiction, and there's there's meant to be this thing oh men uh, all love nonfiction and women only read uh, fiction, and I'm not entirely sure how true that is, but most of your books are. Uh, non-fiction From again from the work that you do. Is there any divide, or is that predominantly a fiction in itself?
2: I don't know. I think it might be a fiction itself. I think it's definitely true that uh, when it comes to fiction, say women read more women writers and men read more male writers. Um, I do read mostly non-fiction. I've always got some fiction by my bed that take me years to get through you know certain hmm. uh, novels and so on so um so i do like novels i have chosen a couple of novels but mostly i i read non-fiction but in my teens i read loads of fiction because i'm a bit of a hoarder i found this little um notebook a uh, little tiny ring binder where i actually wrote down and graded all the books i read in 1984 no, can we uh, just
0: record again the sound Josie made when you said, so I've brought this little ring binder with all my notes. From did my I state go, <gasps> yes, you did.
1: Are you a hoarder yeah. too, then? Well, yes, but also I just very much admire rigorous self taxonomy <laughs> yeah, I good. really do and like as well it's the sort of thing I wish I had done when I was so it's done. colour coding oh, with you're little blobs really oh, enjoy this as little well. blobs there's red for very good
0: Sue Townsend Judy so Bloom Daphne co- Du Maurier Judy Bloom that's... what's the
1: colours red is very good red is very good what's blue the... is very blue quite good.
0: Good? good yellow <laughs> okay so and white's boring otherwise white's Mona boring. the Great was only okay by Judy Bloom Rebecca by Daphne Du Maurier, very nice. You you think she's quite good, Daphne Du Maurier? All right, right. All right. I like Rebecca by Daphne Du yeah. Maurier. I yeah, like the the first. short stories are great. I, I and I I do like that one. Uh, and then two very good Diary of Adrian Mole, mm-hmm. which I just the joy when you first read that. I th- that and Douglas Adams uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. I oh, like I that, that thing where there. you go. This is how much fun you can have with books, laughing out loud. <gasps> in Sue Townsend, very interesting uh, uh, woman as well and uh picnic
1: at like, hanging rock too very good
2: I oh loved, I, loved that I love that book i love Picnic at hanging rock i completely love it and i love hanging the rock. film as well and i love the, the film the, the, I the film is the it's one of the
0: best adaptations yes. ever yes
2: i'm still obsessed with what happened to those girls
0: and also the it's fact that when you were a teenager and you read it didn't you go and it is based on a true story and the girls yes. did, yeah go, it really yeah happens. i was obsessed with the fact it's based well, on a true story and then if you read some eric von daniken you go it was probably aliens They probably came down and then you read some dead more and you go it was either short people in red coats or was ghosts.
1: They disappeared, but they were probably eaten by wildlife, weren't they? Who knows? No,
0: we don't know. It was okay. all
2: very mysterious.
0: Okay. It is a very... This if you've not read... I just had really a kind of strange mood, now, didn't at they? At that point... Yeah, it was 1984 you were reading that. That was probably the year that I uh, read that. So you were far better reader than I was because you are uh, younger than me. And, um, yeah, it's a great novel. What else have you got there, Josie? Okay,
1: ju- I have to ask you about this one. July 14th, Flame Trees of Theca by Oh, Elspir- I like that. But it's got a white with, like, a no entry sign written on it. Is that because oh. you ran out of blue stickers?
2: Oh, I wonder what that is. I really like Flame Trees of Thika.
0: I only remember Maybe the TV version looking... with Hayley Mills.
2: Oh, yeah, the TV version yeah. was excellent. That was really good. I really wanted to be the little girl in that. I wanted to act
0: and be the little girl in that.
1: Bright have revisited. Boring.
2: Boring.
0: Do you know what? I just thought it was about a load of posh people at the time. But Decline and Fall is great. uh, Evelyn Moore, the, the best ones are the ones that are most vitriolic about. The worst story about him... Is uh, and there's a list actually of Evening more stories. He wasn't necessarily a, uh, a one of those people you go, oh no, middle-aged Catholic guilt dragging on till the end of your life. And uh, with uh, O'Brien Ward talked about when bananas arrived in the house during the war. Do you know about this story? Right. And he and even more brought all the children down, and the children thought, oh, we're all going to have bananas. You know, this incredible rarity. Who knows what backhand he paid to some, you know, unscrupulous individual. And and then even more sat down at the head of the table with bananas and apparently peeled each banana, covered it in cream and caster sugar and ate it himself in front of them.
1: <gasps> oh. and every time you
0: read a mean-spirited column from the 1980s by Oberon Wall, remember, it was probably the bananas. But that, of course, would be a, a Freudian reading of the banana. Well, actually, wouldn't. Well, you just want Ian it to be a nice, banana. neat
2: narrative, don't you? You yeah. want there to be cause and effect and for life to be neat. Have you read any? i I've tried.
0: I I started reading one the other day. I've I've got lots of little bits and pieces, and that and his book on UFOs is interesting. But the the his uh, autobiography, the great story where he gets kind of like, oh, I'm really confused by my dreams. He has a dream where God does an enormous poo that shatters a cathedral. That's,
2: that's not very nice, is it? Yeah, I think that's
0: why Freud probably fainted on that ship. <laughs> it's um, can I have a look at your thing, and then you could Josie, yes. you take over while I read the little. Oh, it's such a lovely little ring binder.
1: It's amazing. Also, you read so much. Oh, yes, you see, and I would never read that many novels now. I don't think I can. I, I made a resolution that I was going to read one a week. Oh, that's um, hard. Yeah, can't do it. I, I never live up to it ever, ever, ever. Read this,
0: the Neon Bible.
1: Um, we're going to talk about that in a bit. Um, so, uh, I want to get back into the conversation we were having, but I feel like I'm being terrible at talking. Um, why do you think you are so interested by things that are so? Close to death and so kind of grave.
2: Yeah, I don't know really. I just think it's fascinating, and it's and I'm quite a happy person myself, and I'm very lucky and have never experienced depression, but have interviewed lots and lots of people with depression, and I just think I've I've always thought uh, I don't know that death is very interesting, and that the fact that it's going to happen to all of us is fascinating, and I've always thought, you know, I did a um, my dissertation on. Uh, people who had been bereaved by suicide at, at university, and I remember I had all these piles of books about suicide all over my desk, and piles of books about depression for another <laughs> essay, and a couple oh, of people saying, "Are you t- sure you're all right?" You know, but but uh,
0: just that that suicide in, in university. Do you mean people who committed suicide at university, and no, I mean people. Or...
2: No, so I was looking at the the um, people who had been bereaved by suicide, anyone, any right. relative um, killing themselves, um, and and I think partly it's because um. I don't know because of being happy. I'm fascinated by this unhappiness that you know goes on, and yeah. I think, and I think um, you know, I've chosen that book um, by Sherwin, Sherwin B. Newland, *How We Die*. Each chapter is about is physically about how you die in a different way. So, like, one wow. is what happens exactly in the body if you die from a heart attack. What? It's, it's really interesting, the order in which things in the body shut down. Everything wants to try and keep your brain going. So, basically, that's why you need to fall unconscious on the floor because you don't need any of the rest of it. You need to keep your brain going first. So the um, body blood is like, to don't worry, to we'll try and sort this yeah, out. It's, we'll try and sort this out. And it shuts down in very... Uh, always in the same, same order. It's, its I don't know, it's just What's fascinating. What's the first thing that shuts down? It's just fascinating. Uh, well, first, consciousness. I mean, So, first, you'll lose consciousness if you're really...
0: And uh, that's because it sucks uh, up. It uses so much yeah, of the, the yeah, energy and yeah, the sugars. Yeah,
2: and you that. don't need to stay standing up. You know, you need to fall down. Well, so conscious, you need consciousness, to get your blood to your head, your blood to your brain. So you need to fall down.
1: Okay. Consciousness is is a very so that's a very expensive mode for yeah, your body.
2: Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. So you know, the brain takes an enormous amount of the body's energy you know the brain takes 20% of the body's energy even though it's it's much smaller than that it shouldn't like running the yeah.
1: DVD player yeah. on your
2: computer it is it is <laughs> yeah it is it um, takes a ridiculously large amount
1: wow so if your body was just trying to sort of conserve energy it would just put you to sleep straight away be yeah. like right get yeah. to sleep that's yeah. fine yeah
2: yeah Wow. And then gradually other things will stop. And so so even even in, say, you know, fight or flight mechanism, if you're being you know chased by a bear, your digestive system just completely stops working. It gives up. That's why you feel sick when I'm, you're really afraid because, or why people might, you know, even lose control of, of their bowels. Because you don't me. need to. Um, the Digestion really is down the line of what's important at that moment. That makes loads of sense. But I know so that's on, so from So doing a,
0: uh, a, a poo if you were really scared, that's not about lightening the body so you can run away quicker. It's just because <laughs> like that was, that's what I remember being told. It was like going, was quick, brilliant. get rid of Jettison everything that's weighing you down. Run from <laughs> the bear. And then the bear also yeah. then slips over the poo and that kind of that's thing. It's a great but, strategy. Yeah.
2: I don't think you're going to go a lot faster just by losing
0: a poo, really. Well, we're going to do some tests. So <laughs> we're going to bring in three young people who volunteered. What I love, by the way, just going back quickly to your, your book, is it's the so fact nice. that one moment you're reading Tennis Shoes by Noel Stratfield, also and the next moment you're reading The Third Man by Graham Greene.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a kind of mixture in there.
0: There's all sorts. And short stories by Saki. Oh, short
2: stories by Saki. I did like those. Yeah.
0: They are great. They are, yeah. Yeah, You see, my sister was a great reader,
2: so I just used to go nick books, her older sister. So I just used to nick books from her shelf and, you know, decide what to. What's on it next? And you know, we, we 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 thought we were we wanted to, to write books, so we we thought we'd be like the Brontë sisters. Uh, we didn't realise they it didn't end well. For <laughs> any of the Brontë sisters, since they all died from TB, very young. But um, we 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 kind of wanted to be like them, so we used to write all sorts of little stories, often in tiny tiny little notebooks for no reason. We really liked stationery quite a lot.
1: Yes, I was the same, and I t- absolutely I wrote a really long story about a cat yeah. in a tiny exactly. book. It
2: makes it so much more difficult,
1: doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, I didn't.
2: Do that writing my books now. It would be much harder.
1: Oh, I'd love it if you were like, I've carried <laughs> that on to this day, and the yeah. most recent book I wrote, I wrote yeah. in a tiny little in, post-it yes. note.
2: 150 tiny little notebooks.
0: Do you what write- else have we got? Oh, sorry, Josie,
2: no. no. Do you ever write longhand,
1: or do you just write in the computer now?
2: I do write on the computer now, but sometimes I write I write other things, like if I'm writing uh, columns and things, and I'll sometimes write those longhand on trains, because I can't be bothered to carry a laptop. Nice. And I, I, I quite like still being able to write. Otherwise, your writing How does It makes so you
1: sad bad? when people don't. I really lo- I, like. I enjoy the physical activity of it.
0: You have to do practice. You know that you have type too much line, right. when you actually go. Oh, it was really yeah. tiring and it hurts. My
2: hand hurts.
0: Yeah, all of my stuff is all scribbled because then it means when I die, because I've left like five thousand different postcards just with little notes of what I'm going to talk about on stage. <laughs> they'll definitely think I killed in the local area, and they'll try and <laughs> match it up to various different people. They'll have so a many, really big en- map. enigmatic in death, if not in life.
1: That's true. They have a map, and they have pins coming off it to your postcards, and the postcards will say things like "dead on the spire," and that's how it will work.
0: Have you ever done that? Have you ever left a notebook on a train or like some you know postcards from a show or something, and yes. thought, "What the? F-? Hopefully that's just going to be cleared away by someone with a bag, but if someone reads that, what will they make of? And ha- have you remembered to put? Josie Long 33 and a third in the in the front yeah. of it and then everyone will go we have to find this Josie Long we've seen that someone's dead in Peterborough and we think her next de- destination is Exeter
1: <laughs> well if, if I'm going from Peterborough to Exeter I really have a word with my tour manager because it really should yeah. be Bristol then Exeter So
0: Aberdeen followed by Cardiff I'm not going on about that one again
2: <laughs> uh, The next book is a novel this is the novel I was most dreading reading the reason is it's by my husband, oh. and so I knew he was reading. I was he was um, see I read the proof copy, which is why that one's not not looking battered. But um, he obviously he spent years uh, writing it and would read out bits to me, um, all in the wrong order, and those all seemed good. And then came the moment when I actually needed to read it properly, and I was dreading reading it because I thought, what if it's no good? And I'm going to have to kind of compose my face and what I'm going to say for wives. Oh, so this woman to... here
0: who's cruel. Well, the way you've described <laughs> yeah, her or right. something, or saying... That's right, like...
2: yeah. Well, he does manage to. It's a book, it's called The House of Journalists. And it's a book about a, um, a, a fictional house in... Probably London, that is for um, refugee journalists who've got all sorts of backstories, and it's written in loads of different voices. It's very, it's quite complicated, wow. and it's written in loads of different voices. It's by uh, Tim Finch, and he, um, some of them, there are some horrendous scenes in there. There's a, there's a, you know, terrible scene of people coming with traffickers, you know, in a boat and half of the boat drowning, um, and. Um, i did think with some of it how did you manage to think of such horrible things i mean that's a that's a you know a terrible scene anyway but he doesn't half manage to imagine it in a particularly vile way um so there is some of it where you think did i actually know you how did you think of such vile there's some torture scenes that um where uh, this man who's a pianist with tiny little hands they all get smashed up with a hammer Mm. i thought how did you think of that i thought you were nice but isn't that
0: why that was probably why he's nice I yes, think it that, probably again, is. She feels Waters for them. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. the thing, uh, Because that's what I find interesting. Because I don't like kind of my family seeing me do stand up shows. Because it's a reveal of a different thought process to the way you present yourself. uh yes. on, on So if I'm talking about things that are macabre or sad or whatever it is. It was like the other day I was trying to talk about. I was at Euston and there was that Mr. Sands. Could Mr. Oh, Sands yeah. go yeah. to the. That
2: happens in Victoria nearly every day. And yeah, and some hurrying. people
0: started to hurry. Yeah. And I thought, well, it's just a I cleaner. think it's just I think the It's just the a myth, isn't broken. it? It's an old
2: myth, isn't it, that that's about
0: bomb scares. I think it it's used it's it's to a be. It's cleaner. It's a cleaner. Is it?
2: Mm-hmm. I think it used to be. Is it because they need to pour the sand on when someone's been sick? Ooh, maybe. So it's Mr Sands. Mr Sands.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it used to be, because I remember working I think somewhere used be 25 years ago that, where I that was that. the code. But then very quickly, someone went, Mr Sands seems to be around a lot of places, which are then got a cordon around them. Uh, and so Mr Sands was seen as a kind of like, you know, Angela Lansbury character <laughs> for a while. But the um, And I just thought, and then I had this brief little moment where I thought, what if there is a bomb, though? And the train that I'm walking to now explodes. And a huge piece of metal comes towards me.
1: Bloody hell. And
0: just before, like literally, as I can see it coming and I know that I'm going to die. Yeah.
1: And I thought, I "I wonder if I've got time.
0: No, because I won't be able to move because it's just that thing where, you know, it's coming too fast. And I thought, I wonder if my body would have time to create a tear for the sadness of the years lost with uh, like, my family and with my son and stuff like that. And I turned (sighs) that into a thing. And I thought, I don't know if I'd want, you know, I don't mind telling that to strangers. But huh. lots of people I know, yeah. There's something yeah. where yeah,
2: and I think there is something really revealing about about a novel and well, about definitely. and also you can't just, hide. yeah, and also in the end, you know, luckily I th- thought it was completely brilliant, but also thought I didn't know you could do this brilliant thing, and that's a, you know a nice. What thing did he do
0: before, before then? What was his?
2: Um, so he used to work for the uh, BBC in in political reporting, um, and then worked for the Refugee Council. So he no- knows wow. lots of stories about refugees and, and migrants, and, and still works in the migration field now. So it all sort of fitted in with. With that. It,
1: I can imagine it's very scary when somebody's creating something like this f- for the first time, but you're already married. You're already in. Mm. Exactly,
2: yes. yes. You know, you, it's too late you, now. You, yeah. If the bath's too hot, yeah. you've already stood yeah. in it. But with no. my first book, he insisted on reading it. Um, he wanted to read it when it looked like a book and not sooner than that. So he used to uh, lie in bed beside me, reading it and sighing, and then going, because he's a beautiful writer, and then going, oh, that sentence really could have been different. So, Ooh. the next one, I made him read it before that. I so said, Look, you can point <laughs> this out. If you're going to point it out, point it out before it's published.
0: Yeah. Is that why you didn't like me reading your first book? Because you, you, when you got your second one, Time Warped, you were like, I thought you were reading the new well, one, which is much better. Well, you read in the right order, exactly. Well, because I think you get I better. I read it in the right order. I read the first one first.
2: Yeah, okay, but I quite
0: presumed late. it was a narrative. Quite late, quite late. You're right, you
1: get better. So. You do get better. It gets. In, it's funny, isn't it? Like when you go, Oh, please see my newest thing. Oh, I'm so proud of my newest thing. And then a few years later, you're like, Oh, don't look at that trash. Oh, God, no. <laughs> you know. It's always quite shocking.
0: So, that is now. Um, have you got any books by other members of your family? That you no, no, recommend? that is total that is nepotism- only, my own, No, that no, da- no. My
2: dad did write books, uh, oh, lots did of books, he? yes, about um, uh, birds and wildlife and wildlife art in particular. What's his name? Nicholas Hammond.
0: I, so, he's got the same name also. I met your dad.
2: Yes, you've met my dad. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you He's uh,
0: got the same name also as the, the actor who's in Sound of Music and went on to yes. play Spider-Man, Spider-Man. in yes. the TV yeah. movies. And when Spider-Man. we were little,
2: we used to pretend to people that our dad was Spider-Man.
0: Can I say, much enjoy as I enjoyed that, meeting your dad, if he'd been PJ Hammond, the creator of Sapphire and Steel... That would be amazing, <laughs> but I will have to check now. I bet my dad's got of Well, books. So- when his
2: when, what is sad is when his first I was about seven when his first book came out, which was called Looking at Wildlife. It was for it was for children and it was about how to look at wildlife, and um, I was very excited because I knew he had a book coming out. And then when I saw it, I remember saying to him, "When are you? Go, when you? This is great. When are you going to write a proper book, which I thought was a novel?" Oh, isn't that sad? How did he handle it? Should we check your
0: ring folder again and just see if you've got <laughs> white sticker next to her own father's book? And then we go, "Oh, bring Freud." back in again now
2: (laughs) but how did he handle that was he no I think he handled I think he handled it very well and then he went on to you know he wrote about 20 books and so and then with one of them I was very pleased because I was acknowledged for helping it had hundreds and hundreds of photos of birds in them and I used to put the little slides in alphabetical order and was in the acknowledgements for having helped which I was unbelievably excited about so I should have
0: started with that book Then your first official book, and then I'd probably get the narrative. Yeah. So we've only got three minutes left. So let's quickly
2: go through. You have to have this one because it's so heavy, and I have carried it in my rucksack.
0: Oh my goodness.
2: Yes. It is, would you like it, Josie? Oh, yes. It is the Encyclopedia of Plants and Flowers. Oh. And it's huge, and they're all in there, and there's photos of all the plants and flowers. And I love gardening now, so I just love this book. Can you well, I, I could just, just, just sit 7-0. and look at that forever. The Royal
1: Horticultural Society New Encyclopedia of Plants and Flowers, the unrivalled reference work for every gardener. It's beautiful. Um, when did you start uh,
2: getting into gardening?
1: Because I've f- had a similar thing. Oh, have you? you?
2: Have yes. you? Oh, you need to get that. You need to get that book. So I. Um, Ha, start, I had a roof terrace uh, that I had had for the sort of last fifteen years, which I've crammed with as many pots and things as possible. And now that I've moved to a house with a garden, oh my, my main joy is um, going to garden centres. So I've just been at, at Hay this weekend, and but on Sunday morning, obviously, we went instead to a garden centre because there's some fantastic garden centres out of London. And so I always look up to find the award-winning garden centres wherever I go and fill up the car with them because we haven't got haven't got a car so we rented a car for the weekend which is a joy because then we could fill it with plants other than that I try putting them in the basket on my bike and it doesn't
0: work very well. Did you have you been to Australia? Yes. Their garden centers are brilliant they have really good cafes. I've never been to a to garden center there. Oh you should. Near Sydney, no, but it'd him, be
2: heartbreaking.
1: It's like when you I can't go, take them back. It's, it's like, yeah, it is heartbreaking. It's yeah, like if you, you go to Kent
0: you're having a lovely meal and you think, oh, what a mm. lovely selection of vines. No, but
1: it's like if you go to Kent and you go in charity shops and you see this amazing old furniture and they're like, oh, it's twenty quid, but you can't drive and you can't carry it back on the train. So you just have to sit there knowing that you would love it and you can't have it.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm not like that at all. I, it's like especially with heavy books. Oh, look, the huge darling Kinsley book of the universe. Now, I've only got seven more dates in Scotland, Wales. <laughs> To hell with sciatica. What's your favourite reference book, Joe? Because I have that thing with reference books. Like when I was a kid, it was Halliwell's uh, Filmgoer's Companion. Oh, I just yeah. keep reading and reading. Then when the book about the Radio Times Book of Comedy came out, I remember I'd been. Well, I was touring with Dave Gorman, and we'd just sit in his flat, and everything would tag you to another thing.
1: So you'd mm. sort of think,
0: oh, I wonder what other sitcoms John Laurie did. Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, that's led me now to Robin Bailey's work. And you just go back and forth and all over the shop. What is your favourite reference book?
1: Oh, gosh, I'm so bad on the spot, I can't think. That's embarrassing, isn't it?
0: Especially as a well-known improviser. <laughs> um,
1: hmm. Oh, I had a Dictionary of Saints. I used to love oh. that. Just look
2: look at how they died.
1: Yes! And also, look for the names. Like, I wonder if there's a Saint Jeff. Whoa! I can't remember if there is. But, you know, I I used to love love a dictionary of saints. used to have like a... English literature reference book that I used to love when I was at university. But it just shows how pre-internet my university days were. The idea that, like, you'd go, oh, I don't know who wrote that. Oh, look up in my to yes. literature. As opposed to just, oh, Google that. Oh, there we go. Oh, interesting.
0: But it changes the way you take it in, I think. Mm. Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable. Oh, That's good. yes.
1: Yeah. I, do you know, I, I quite enjoy a book of quotations. I'm not saying that I, I love it. But I quite enjoy it. You're always going to find something that you're like, very wry, very droll. Um,
0: oh, Nietzsche, how did you manage so many aphorisms? <laughs>
1: oh, I tell you what, people really do underrate Nietzsche as a funny person. He was a funny person.
0: Yeah, well, you have the same moustache as Mr. Pastry, who was very popular in the 90s. <laughs> the worst thing about Nietzsche is there's one really great photo of Nietzsche and then there's one where, obviously, the syphilis had kicked in. You think, well, I don't put that
1: up. But that's classic, isn't it? That's like if we go missing, the only picture they'll use of us is, like, a terrible photo from on stage in 1995 where you're like, oh. Well,
0: my official BBC photo that keeps getting news, we had to go and have a load of photos done, mainly with Brian Cox, obviously, just told to his coat. And then mine, I look slightly like Cyril Fletcher from That's Life. Which I suppose turns out. And here we are, anyway, with a right take on books. So let's have just quickly mention don't even say anything about it, we'll continue the list.
2: Uh, Jennifer Egan's A Visit from the Goon Squad, which is a, a novel, which uh, is really great. Uh, oh, Reasons to Stay Alive, Matt Haig, which is oh. a book about uh, depression, which just describes it, I think, uh, from what I have found talking to people so brilliantly. And I know so many people who said that they've completely he talks about it being a burning pain. And for anyone who just thinks, oh, it's just people feeling a bit miserable. This book really shows that that's not the case. Um, and I have, um, oh, my favourite uh, money book, The Economic Psychology of Everyday Life, which Ooh. by Paul Webley and others. Is uh, that a
0: former library copy or have you stolen it?
2: Um, it is No, I've bought it online. It says withdrawn. Middlesex University, withdrawn. It does say withdrawn.
0: You know library copies don't cost as much. I don't know why. Them. I love like I've just got a load of. I've got a uh, Carolee Schneeman, who is a very interesting kind of performance artist, and uh, and suddenly there was a book like a, a book you can only get for about eighty quid. But it's a library copy, and it's like one pound fifty. And it's also got how many times it was taken out and little stamps oh, in it nice. and a little history of it. It's, it's like nice, a psychotography of
2: the book. Exactly, you can see that people took it. And what's this book? Oh, no one took uh, it. About, or, or what? Um, so this is uh, all about uh, different experiments on um, how we, our attitudes to money and how we conceive of money, why we're so... Um, Uh, wedded to the actual cash why we are so distressed at seeing um, cash torn up so talking about um, uh, in talks that I've been giving in the last week about my new book about money I've been shredding a £5 note at the beginning Yes, you see, you're gasping. The whole audience gasps. It's great. With a little tiny hand shredder that I got in Muji. Um, <laughs> and you turn it by hand. It's just mechanical. And out comes... I'm only doing it with five pounds. Even doing it by I'm not hand there's something doing very... It by hand and out, and out they come. It's like a very small KLF. And it's just a piece... Exactly. It is. Well, it is. It is of, of in Claudia's order to get onto my KLF story. Yes. What do you,
1: with the yeah. Could we just hear a little bit? Well, so in it's your
2: just book. so so yes yeah, sure so it's um so I do start with the story of KLF or the K Foundation as they were by them famously burning their million pounds on the island oh, of Jura. No. And so what I'm looking at is how how money affects the way we think and feel and behave and why we do so many irrational things with money. So why we will um pay um we we'll, we'll drive miles to save 20 pounds on something that's quite cheap but we won't Drive miles to save twenty pounds on something that's expensive, or we're much happier to win um, twenty five pounds one week in a lottery and fifty pounds the following week than winning seventy five pounds in one go. So not all pounds are the same. We've got some curious attitudes to it, and all sorts of things where we there's all sorts of things where we can do things about that in order to um, use our money better and to spend it on things that make us happier instead of things that don't.
0: We've my, run out of time. My friend, the book good. is fantastic. No, but I want to to. Say, oh, my
1: friend's got a really great joke about that, about how laser eye surgery, you either want it to be free... Or really expensive, but if somebody said, I'll do you laser eye surgery for £10, you'd be like, No, no way.
2: I wouldn't yeah.
0: have laser eye surgery because last night at the upfield pitch house, I introduced Ray Milan's film X The Man with X ray Eyes. It doesn't end up well at the end, he plucks out his own eyes. Oh, oh. It's not really about laser surgery, it's about you know, so anyway. So, thank Claudia, you Hammond, very much. your new book is out from Canongate. All your bu- oh no, the, the previous book was Canongate, wasn't it? It was, um, yes, yeah, love Canongate, uh, which love is uh, Time yeah. Warped, which is a great book as well. And uh, thank you for We've not really done a lot of your books, so can you can, we'll do next series? Do you want to come back? Okay, there. I'll come back next we'll series. And we, can we just do all of your. Can we scan your uh, um, little ring folder thing and put it up on, on Oh, the you could, yes. I'd love to do that. Yes. You Such could. a nice selection. Um, Josie Long.
1: Thank you. We're overexcited because we've not done a podcast We're not overexcited. Us, I, I think do we did quite
0: well this time. I don't think we're professional. We're not professional. We're not professional.
2: As a professional one. Would you like to say that my book is called Mind Over Money? I don't think you've ever said what it's called.
0: No, because I think if people are really interested, yeah. they'll put the work in. So we're going to delete the You bit. want them to Google. We're actually going to erase Mind Over Money. We're not going to mention Mind Over Money, <laughs> are we, Josie?
1: I'd say it's, for me, impossible to.
0: Mind Over Money from Canongate is available now <laughs> in all good bookshops. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you very much to everyone who is supporting this podcast. It keeps us going. So if you would like to know more about how to support us, uh, you could be just a pound a podcast, maybe even less. Uh, We're not begging, though. You can listen to it for free if you want. Oh, this is a terrible sales pitch. Anyway, thank you to those who have given in the last couple of months. So they are Mark Baldwin, Amanda Sangorsky, Elwin Morgan, Mark Powell, Morgan Phillips, John F. Ades, Imogen Jeffrey. Joe Kendall, Rebecca Hilda, Dean Burnett, Nick Gregory. And just go on to cosmicgenome.com forward slash shambles and you'll find out more information and we'll be thanking more people next week. Thanks, bye.